Morning, everybody good this morning? A few of us are good. Some of us are maybe struggling to wake up, right? Nah, not know, maybe. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, I, I love that song. Uh, I think sometimes I was just sitting there back here thinking about our worship team and about what God's done just over the last couple of years with them. And like, I think sometimes when you're so close to something, you kind of forget and you kind of, it kind of, you kind of lose its, its value sometimes. But these guys are awesome, aren't they? they, they we're blessed to have these guys leading us in worship every week. So thank you guys for what you do. Um, so today uh, we're going to be continuing our series through 1 Corinthians called Undivided. If you're the first time here, my name is Michael Page, and I'm excited about what God's doing through this series, what he's doing through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, I've, I shared this with you the first week that um, across the nation, I've noticed there's other pastors, other networks of churches that I see that have started the first Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians the same around the same timeline that we have. So I feel like God's trying to do something in his church in this moment of our history to, to mature and to unify his church church. And so today we're going to be in chapter three. So if you want to turn to first Corinthians chapter three, we're going to be in the entire book, right? Cause we're going to read every verse because that's what we do. Right. And so honestly, if you if it's your first time here, or if it's your third time hearing this series, um, we have a reading plan that goes along with this. Um, it's out there in the, uh, atrium area where you're leaving. If you want to grab that, this is a physical copy. It's on our church center app. It's on our website. It's everywhere you can think of to look. So if you were wanting to follow along, if you read this reading plan this week, next week, you'll be prepared for the sermon next week. So my heart is that you would follow along in that way. It has a memory verse because we believe memorizing scripture is important for us as well, right? Okay, so... 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so today, as I'm going to just kind of give you a, a reminder, that, but the central thought to this book so far, what we have seen is, is unity. The church, unifying the church around Jesus and Jesus alone, right? I mean, what you see is we may have preferences and desires, we all do, but the Bible points to God's desire for his church to be mature and unified. So as we're looking at this, what we saw last week, Paul in chapter 2 reminded the Corinthians that they needed to keep the main thing, the main thing. Who struggles with keeping the main thing, the main thing in your life? We all do, right? We struggle with keeping the main thing, the main thing. And he was reminding them that it's all about Jesus and him crucified. Everything is about Jesus and him crucified. It's all about the gospel. And we saw that the cross is, the, is central to the gospel and that God calls us to die daily to ourselves so that we can come alive in Christ. And so as we looked at this, we saw that the gospel has been, has been God's rescue plan from the beginning. Back in Genesis chapter 3, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, the moment that that happened, we see God answering that sin with the hope and the mystery of the gospel that was now being lived out right in front of the Corinthians and real time. But what happened is they gave into this temptation to try to go beyond the gospel and try to mix in this worldly wisdom with the gospel. But we saw last week that we don't grow and mature by adding things to the gospel. We grow and mature by going deeper into the simple gospel of Jesus. And that's the heart. And we grow mature by going deeper. And so then in verse six, what we saw is kind of a on the surface, it can be a contradiction, but we see is Paul differentiating the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. We see Paul reminding them that there's a wisdom that is for, for the mature, but if I put that simple, it's the wisdom of obedience. I'm obeying what God said. I'm, I'm applying the gospel to my life because you may know the word. We have a lot of people in this room that know the word, but my question is, do you apply the word? Because we say this 100,000 times in this room. If you, if you have a knowledge of the word, but you don't have application of the word, it's useless. Right? We see that in James chapter 1. Knowing the gospel and applying the gospel to your life are two different things. Knowledge, knowledge is knowing the truth, and wisdom is knowing what to do with the truth. Do you see that? So knowledge is knowing the truth, but wisdom is knowing what to do with the truth. And so as I read that, what Paul is saying is Paul is saying to these Corinthians, you've laid the foundation. You know the basics of the gospel. You know your ABCs. You know the, the simplicity of the gospel. Now move on, move forward. Let, let God carry you along to maturity by going deeper into the gospel and stop resisting the hand of the Holy Spirit. And last week in chapter two, Paul showed us that there are two types of people in the world, spiritual people and unspiritual people, saved people and unsaved people. What you see, you see that in chapter 2, verse 14 and 16. It says, but the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. 
He is not able. He cannot do it. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. We have the mind of Christ. But today, as we jump into chapter 3, what we're going to see, we're going to see Paul go to, to, he's going to go on to explain that there are two types of saved people also, the mature and the immature. In this room, if you're saved, you're either mature or you're immature. And there's not a lot of middle ground in that room. And so uh, a mature, let me tell you, like, a mature Christian allows the Holy Spirit to teach. He allows the Holy Spirit to lead, to, to lead them in feeding on God's word and obeying what it says. Uh, the immature Christian, the carnal Christian, the, the Christian who lives for things of the flesh and has little interest in things of the spirit. And some of you, as I'm saying that, you may like, I'm this or I'm that. But my heart today is that you would hear this with an open mind and an open heart, that you would listen to the Holy Spirit and say, hey, and let him convict, let him move, let him guide, and you respond by being obedient to what he's calling you to do. Some believers, you know, some people, some believers are immature because they're new believers, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. But so before we get going this morning, I just wanted to share my heart with you for a second. So to kind of frame this morning's message, is that cool? So... As Savannah and I were praying about this church, is about as we were praying and dreaming about planting a church in this area about five years ago, God burdened us to pray for the mission, for the vision, for the people in the city, for the ministries that would be started, for the families that would be here. And, and all that happened long before God ever brought this group of people together. And as a church, we believe very strongly that, that we've been called by God as Christians to make disciples. It says it throughout Scripture, of every nation who turn around and make disciples of Jesus in every nation. We, and we've kind of consolidated the, the Great Commission into this mission statement of we exist to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. Our heart is to make disciples. Our heart is to see that happen. And so we also, what we believe as a church is that healthy disciples will in turn plant healthy churches. And healthy churches will create healthy disciples. And that's our heart is what we do. And so what we're doing is our heart is to see 50 churches planted by 2050. And that's just a goal. That's just something we put out in front of ourselves to reach as a church because we believe God has called us to plant churches wherever he opens the door. We call it to be obedient in that. And as a church, as a network of churches, this is going to take a laser-focused, very specific strategy that will take tremendous energy and will, and will deep faith in, in, in church-wide risk and investment for generations to come. But it will be worth it, man. And I'll tell you this, giving birth to new churches in new cities will take a group of maturing believers who take God at his word and follow him relentlessly together and who are willing to put their life where their mouth is. And today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's so appropriate to this as, it, as, as this, we're focusing in on the maturity of the church, because without growing in our faith to maturity, without growing in our faithfulness as Christians, none of this will ever happen. There'll never be a blip on our radar screen. But let me tell you this, these things will happen because God is faithful and he is sovereign. He doesn't need anyone to do his work. But he's so graciously and kindly and generously invited us into his mission and I want to be a church that says yes to Jesus, right? I want to be a church that says yes to his mission of making disciples of all nations, of seeing churches planted, of seeing people come to Christ, of seeing people come alive in Jesus. But he can use anyone he pleases. And I just pray this morning that he would continue to use us. And so let that be the framework of how we start this message this morning. Let us pray together as we get going. So we'll be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 to begin with. So God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done through Jesus. God, we thank you for the gospel, the simple gospel, God, of you coming to this earth and bearing the weight of my sin, of our sin, God, and dying a death on the cross that was owed for us. God, we thank you for defeating death by rising from the dead, Father. We thank you for the promise of you coming back one day. God, we cling to that promise. We cling to the simplicity of that message. Father, now take us deeper into our faith. Mature us, Father, to apply those truths to our life. God, I pray for the person in this room who is, who is suffering a, just a, a cultural Christian heart. God, I pray that you would just draw them to yourself this morning, that you would wake them up, Father. I pray that you would awaken the church, that revival would break out in every church across this land, Father. We would see your name lifted high. God, we're not, we're not satisfied with just being cultural Christians where we're coming and meeting once a week and going home. Father, I pray this morning that you would just light a fire in our hearts to go into the communities that we live in, the families that we're involved in, and be a light of your kingdom in those places, God. Bind us together at the heart. Unify us with an uncommon supernatural unity, Father. Take us on to maturity. Lead us into the future, Father, with maturity. We love you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to do the first four verses here. And I love the first four verses because it's going to kind of set the tone for us this morning. Um, This morning's going to be a little bit heavy. There's going to be some toes stepped on. Is that okay? I don't shy away from that. If you know me, I'm sorry, but I'm talking to myself too. Okay, we're talking about this together. It's me also. So let's read this together. It says, for my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh as babies in Christ. And so remember, Paul already explained that there are two types of people, spiritual and unspiritual. But now today, he's going to explain to us that there's two types of saved people. So this morning, with a, just go ahead and get a baseline foundation of this message. Paul is talking to Christians, okay? He's speaking to Christians this morning. So if you're not a Christian here, this is not speaking to you, but this is, also, this is for you, okay? So hear this this morning with those ears. He says, I I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife, strife can be divisions, envy and divisions among you. You Are are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever, whenever someone says, I belong to Paul and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? Remember in chapter 1, they were struggling with, I, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Christ, right? All those the, the super spiritual guys, right? And so you remember these guys coming together and Paul is saying, this is not mature faith. This is not where we're calling you to be. And if you look at this, it reminds me of some things. And I, 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 I kind of give, to kind of give you an illustration, uh, there are two events that I consider the greatest moments of my life. And I have some pictures of them if we have, we call them up. The first one is my wedding day. Um, see, I married up, right? So, amen. See, so this, this is my, probably the, the greatest memory of my life, marrying my wife, becoming one together with her, um, being in ministry with her, loving her, kind of walking alongside her, learning how to love. I, I said that, um, I've said always that marriage is the, the most sanctifying relationship in my life, right? And some of you in here this morning that don't have kids are like, yeah, that's right. But then the next greatest moment of my life was this. The next greatest moment was this, was my, my twins were born. So I said marriage was the most sanctifying relationships in my life. Well, I'll tell you, uh, two three-year-old twins are probably more sanctifying than my relationship with my wife, right? So learning how to talk to them. So I brought some props here for us this morning. So I'm going to use these in a second. But what I, what I remember is like diapers and bottles and formula and, and all these things. In the first eight weeks of my kids' lives, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. <laughs> and y'all are laughing, but I'm being extremely serious. You can ask my wife. I'm like, I don't know... At this point, death almost seems better. I don't know what's happening. I don't know, God. I, I, I can't sleep. Uh, we, like, whenever you have two at one time, you know, it's like you don't take turns. You both get up, right? You both get up, feed the babies every three hours. It's like boom, boom, boom. You got to do all these things. All in the first few weeks of their life, I had tasted vomit. I had tasted poop. I had tasted formula. I had done all. Just It's bad, guys. But have kids. They're a blessing. I promise. It gets, it gets better. But guys, listen. I love them more than anything. I love my wife and my two children more than anything. So what did I do? I changed diapers. Braxton and Chloe would have projectile vomit of formula on the side of my face, all over my pants, in my eyes, in my mouth, in my nose. And like, right? And so it's like, I love you, so I'm going to continue to do that. I mix formula. I clean poop. I clean pee off the wall where Braxton had great aim. I, I endured the vomit to the face, and I do that a million times because I love them. I would do it a million times over because I love them. And now we're trying to, to potty train them now a little bit, and it's kind of insane. It's a little, it's a little, bit, it's a little bit worse sometimes, you know. But, and my question for my kids is, why would you rather poop your pants, right? You know what I mean? Why would you rather do that than go to the bathroom? And so I'm like, what? But, listen, but it's okay because they're a toddler, and that's what toddlers do, Right? They're taught, and that's what they, but if my son comes to me at age 16 wearing a diaper and my daughter comes to me wanting a warm bottle of milk, I'm going to have an issue. I'm going to have a big issue, right? I mean, you parents in this room, you know, like, no, that ain't happening. No, we ain't doing that. That's not working. But the point is, the, the, this would point to a disorder of some kind. It would point to bad parenting on my part. But sadly, guys, spiritually speaking, this is where the church in America has been for far too long. Can we admit admit to that spiritually? 
Paul points to these divisions and this strife within their churches as evidence of their immaturity. He's saying, I wanted to give you solid foods, but I continuously had to give you milk to drink. Here, buddy, here's your milk. I constantly had to come and change your stinky diapers. This doesn't have poop in it, I promise. I had to come change your diapers. I had to come wipe your mouth because you were spitting up. I had to come, spiritually speaking, I had to come, I had to buy diapers every three weeks. The daughter told us whenever we were in the hospital that it was when we were going to have to buy 800 and some, some di- odd diapers for the first month of our, our kids' lives. I was like, come again? <laughs> 800 and what? Like, a lot of diapers, bro. Think about month two, three, four. I'm not sure what number we're on now. It's, it's insane. I would like to kind of add that up. Because this is what the church in America is like. And a lot of pastors, you see a lot of pastors like frustrated sometimes because the church isn't growing the way they feel like God had, had the vision that God had given them. And it's like, because it's because like even in our culture, we live in this consumeristic culture where spiritually speaking, people come into the services on Sunday, connect groups on Wednesday, and that's their idea of church. And all that's happening in those moments is you're getting the basics of faith. You're getting the basics of spiritual life and you're getting a bottle of milk, and you're going home. You're getting your diaper changed, and you're going home. Now, that's harsh, but spiritually speaking, that's where the American church has been for a very long time. And my heart is that we would wake up and mature in our faith. This is the year of maturity in our body. God has called us to mature and move ourselves along in our faith, and at some point along the way, Braxton and Chloe learned to feed themselves. It was a great day. Anybody in this room ever remember the day where the kid picked their bottle up with their own hands and started feeding themselves and you didn't have to do it anymore? I was like, good God, that's amazing, right? I could just sit here and sleep while they take a nap, while they, while they drink their bottle, right? Or whenever they started using a fork, man, Lord, thank you, Jesus, man, they can feed themselves. I can sit here and do my own thing. And so I have some freedom again a little bit. No, but that's what it's like is, are we feeding ourselves spiritually? Are we looking for someone else to feed us? And my heart today is that we would see what Paul is saying here. He's saying he's pointing to the divisions and the strife within the church. And he's saying this is evidence of your immaturity. Like you being divided around people, you being divided because somebody hurt your, hurt your feelings, or you being divided because of this, or nobody's talking to you, or something's not right. You being divided over these secondary things is a pointing to your immaturity in your faith, which means unity is fruit of maturity in our faith. Do you see that? And so some signs, let me give you some signs of immaturity in the church. Some signs of immaturity in the church is you may be gullible to false doctrines. You may be gullible to false doctrines. Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 that God gives us pastors and teachers to do what? To build us up in the word so that we will no longer be little children tossed about by the waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Another thing is you, you, you may have a hard time trying to get along with other Christians. Maybe you have a hard time getting along with the church. Maybe you don't feel included. Maybe you feel like the church is too clicky for you. Maybe you have this or that. You have these ideas. There's a selfishness that manifests itself in spiritually immature people. You can look at that in verse 3. And then unchecked, if this is left unchecked, it leads to broken relationships and church splits. Why do you think we have over... So many de- denominations in the United States alone. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Division, division, deceit, division. The last thing that I kind of see in immature Christians is you, your decisions are controlled by your impulses. The jobs you take, the, the church you go to, the, the, thing, the decisions you make with your finances, all these things. You make more money, find more pleasure, build your earthly kingdom here because this is most important because this is what I see. Well, some signs of spiritually mature people. I read scripture and this is what I see. Signs of spiritually mature people. And you can kind of do an evaluation of where you are personally. I have no idea where some of you are at. I don't know. So, but maybe God, the Holy Spirit will evaluate you and let you know. So pray, God, show me where I'm at. Maybe some of you need to pray that prayer like right now. God, show me where I'm at this morning and let me make some steps in the right direction this morning. Some signs of spiritual maturity are this. You're willing to overlook your preferences for the sake of unity in the body and the success of the mission. It's a hard one, right? Who has preferences? All of us, right? You're willing to, you're willing and you're able to teach others and help others grow. You feel an urgency to make disciples because Jesus commanded us to. Some of you are like, what is a disciple again? <laughs> What's that? 
The next thing is you're able to sense the spirit of the Lord moving and you're able to follow where he's leading. Have you heard the spirit's voice in your life this week as you've been praying? Have you, have you been following him? Another one is you care for the local church. I care for this body more than anything. I, I'm reading a book right now. It's called uh, Church Planting Thresholds. It's about planting churches, how to do it healthy and right. And, and one of the things in there is how to balance family versus how to blend family. He says, you shouldn't balance your family with the church. You should blend your family with the church in this ministries, doing life together with the church, caring about the local church and its growth. Um, you, the next thing is you have grit. You have grit. You, you've committed to a local body. You've, you've committed to see God move in a community. You're willing to do whatever it takes to see the mission of God carried out through the local church. So these are mature things of a Christian. And so the main reason, this is what I've learned over my life in ministry. It hasn't been too long, but this is what I've learned in the little bit of time that I've been here, is the main reason why Christians don't make disciples is because they don't know how. That's a simple statement, but it's true. Like they, they don't know how because they've grown comfortable with their milk. They've grown comfortable with coming to church and somebody feeding them, consuming the things that they need or desire, having their diaper changed, and they go home and it's okay because I'm comfortable now. I'm no longer sitting in a poopy diaper. I can last another seven weeks or seven days. I'm pleased no seven weeks. <laughs> They're okay with coming to church having a bottle and then going back to life as normal. But God has called us to so much more. God has called us to so much more. And it's beautiful and, and it's more fulfilling than anything you spend your time doing on earth. Anything. Only a person who is constantly being matured by God can effectively lead and serve the local church and be effective in the world for God's mission. And as I read this scripture, maturity is, is more closely related to obedience than time. Maturity is more closely related to obedience in your life than time. And I'm probably going to butcher this, but John Piper did a message back in 2000 at, at Passion, one of the first Passion conferences. Some of y'all may be old enough or may have been alive long enough to remember that, but he, he talked about don't waste your life. He wrote a book about it. don't waste your life. You've been given so many years to make an impact on this world. And he talked about these two women who were in their 80s in, in, in Cameroon who had, who had died in a tragic car accident as they were going to go over and, and minister to the gospel and, 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 and to give the gospel to, the, to unreached people. And he asked the crowd, he says, was this a waste? Was it a waste for them to give up their life, to spend for the gospel, to go overseas, to, to love on people, to give people the gospel, the hope of glory, and then they died on their way? Was it a, what is it a waste? And the audience was a resounding no. And he comes back and he says, let me tell you what is a waste. And he breaks out a Reader's Digest article. Some of y'all are like, what is Reader's Digest? It's back before we had computers, right? And so, and so there was an article in there of a couple who had moved to Florida, who had a house, who, who spent their days on the beach picking up seashells and had a seashell collection in their house with buckets and all these things. And they had this, they played tennis during the day and they had dinner at night in these beautiful restaurants and all these things. And he points to those people and says, that is a waste, he says, because one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to offer him. What are you going to offer him? Here, God, here's my seashells. Here's my retirement fund. Here's my beautiful home. Here's my things that I have. Or are you going to offer him a life that was lived in obedience to him? And when it says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I'm not saying being rich and being all those things is bad because God uses those people to build the kingdom too. But I'm saying giving your life to follow Jesus. Maturity is more closely related to obedience than time. Because those old ladies who were 80 years old going to overseas to see people know Jesus was so important. And so this morning as I'm reading this, what I'm seeing is Paul is giving us a few things in this passage that he's showing us about maturity. The first thing I see is this, his first point this morning, is maturity doesn't happen without intention. Maturity doesn't happen without intention. It doesn't just happen, oh, look, now I have a six-pack because I didn't work out a day, but now I got it. Because No, I have to have intention in my working out. I have to have intention in my eating. I have to have intention in the way that I'm living. I don't become spiritually mature without intention. Many Christians in this room, maybe, many Christians who have lived their life in a good old denominational church, a good old non-denominational church, all these places who said it's okay to stay the way you are, assume that God will one day just zap them with a heavenly bolt of light and they'll instantly go from spiritual toddler to spiritual teacher. And I'm going to be honest with you, this couldn't be more wrong. This is a deception from the enemy, guys. He's trying to tell all of us that same thing. 
And this is, this is just more fruit of that culture of instant gratification that we talked about last week, remember? Give, give it to me now. I want it now. Like, give me maturity now. I don't want to go through the processes of sanctification or refinement. I don't want to go through the fire, God. Give it to me now. I read my Bible this week. I prayed this week. I'm mature. Look at me. I know all the Christianese words. I can serve. I can do all these things. Look at my life. But in, whenever you get alone, you know that you're far from God and you need to come close to him. But we might be too scared because we don't want to be made a fool of ourselves. But Jesus says, make a fool of yourselves. Die on the cross daily. Come before me in humility and offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That's the heart behind the gospel. I'll tell you this. Maturity is progressive. Maturity is progressive. Progressive, the actual definition, is happening or developing gradually or in stages, proceeding step by step. Happening or developing gradually or in stages, proceeding step by step. At this church, we call them next steps. We tell you we want to connect you to a growing relationship with Jesus. We tell you the way that you do that is by taking next steps. Taking next steps, taking next steps. We have people getting baptized next week. We have two signed up right now to get baptized next. We're excited to celebrate that with them. Yeah, it's the reason to celebrate. So come back next weekend. Let's celebrate. But what Paul is doing is Paul is showing the Corinthians that they, they have a job to do. They, they have a mission to be engaged in. They have, they, but they're not currently able to engage in the mission because they lack the spiritual know-how to engage in the mission because they've been, they've been okay with just this. They've been okay with just knowing the basics, the little small little pieces, and they've been carnal. They've been mixing this with this. They've been mixing this with this, and they're trying to, to create their own life and their own gospel. They're adding things they like. They're adding things God's okay with, and they're trying to mix this thing up. But I want to tell you, Jesus plus anything is nothing, right? Jesus plus nothing is everything. And this morning, I want, to, I want you to know that they, they were saved, but they were living in the flesh, and this morning, that's where some of you may be. And, and when you're saved and when you enter into this lifelong process of becoming like Christ, and what happens is God's main goal in your life in every scenario that you can think of, every circumstance, is to make you look and act and talk like Jesus. Everything. In my heart today is that you would remember Romans 8. A few series ago, we talked about Romans 8. We dissected this verse over and over and over again. And what it says is this. It says, we know that what all things work together for the good. And remember, you don't define the good. Remember that. For the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes, for those he foreknew he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's main goal in your life, is to make you look like Jesus, to make you act like Jesus, to make you sound like Jesus, to make you love like Jesus. And this morning, this is what the Corinthians were holding an arm against what God was trying to do in their life, and they were staying mature. They were not being carried on to maturity. And what you see is Jesus saved them. Jesus saves us for his glory first. And some of you need to kind of reorient your mind this morning is that your salvation was about God's glory. Does that make sense? That goes against the American culture of Christianity, right? Your salvation... It was about you, but it was about God first. It was about his glory first. It was about him. It was about his name being made famous throughout the earth. And it comes about in three stages of salvation that we talk about in heart and soul. The first stage is justification. You're justified before God because of what Jesus did on the cross. You're made right before God. New life in Christ. You're saved. You're sealed. There's a new kingdom. And this happens instantaneously. You're saved in a blink of an eye. And you're never more saved than in that moment. What happens in that moment when you're saved, you're justified? It don't matter how many times you get baptized, how many times you read your Bible, how many times you pray, how many times you help the homeless or the poor. You're saved beyond anything else in that moment. Romans 5.1, what does it say? It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace means there's nothing left to do. You can't save yourself and you can't sustain yourself either. The next process is sanctification. This is the action of our process of being freed from sin. This is a progressive process that we just talked about of maturing in our faith. And then lastly, glorification is when our faith shall be sight and the presence of sin will be no more and will be in the presence of God for eternity. Isn't that a good day? That's what we're living for. That's the hope that draws us into this life of Christ. 
and it should bring some excitement to our life, right? It should bring some motivation into our life. And these Corinthians, like so many people, have lost the sight of God's glory and the beauty of Christ and the gospel, and they had stopped taking steps of surrender. Is that you this morning? Have you stopped taking steps of surrender in your life? Do you know Christ? Like we're talking about. And what Paul is saying is, you're not mature enough for me to teach you the way I need to teach you. That's, that's a shot to the gut, Paul. Like you're not mature enough for me to give you what I feel like I need to give you. You aren't mature enough to carry out the work that I need you to carry out in the city of Corinth. You still need to be babied and cared for, and you should be teaching and leading and making disciples by now. Some people think this was five years into their, their walk with Christ, what Paul was talking about. Five years have passed. Well, what are we doing? Some of you guys have been here at this church for four. Maybe do some self-evaluation. Like, where am I at in, in comparison to where I was four years ago? Have I, have I grown in my faith? Have I, have I started to lead and to teach and to disciple people in this body and this city? It reminds me of a verse in, in um, Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 5. The writer of Hebrews is, is having the same problem of immaturity. Um, it's chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. And what he says is, we have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Man, does that not sound like the American church, man? Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those, who have, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching and grow up about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings as baptism, laying on of hands as prayer, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. You know, I think what the writer of Hebrews is saying is we've become okay with being an infant. And I think today is what Paul is pointing out is the Corinthians had become okay with their perpetual infancy. And I think there's a rebuke that's happening in this chapter that we need to hear as the American church. Remember, this is not written to us, but it's written for us, right? And so as you read this, it's like, am I hearing this with, with ears that hear? Because just like Jesus saved you with intention, You've been called to live with intention and engage in a process of sanctification. And, but he's given you this blessing and a curse. It's called free will. It's a blessing and a curse that allows you to quench the power of the Spirit in your life. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Do not quench the Spirit. Love short verses. Do not quench the Spirit. The Spirit's moving in your life. The Spirit is guiding you. The Spirit is convicting you. The Spirit is leading you. The Spirit has a plan for your life. He's empowering you to speak truth of the gospel to people around you. He hasn't placed you in jobs and homes and communities for no reason. He's placed you there for a purpose. Don't quench his hand in your life. And so in his love, what God's done, he's given Christians the ability through free will to either restrict or release what the Spirit does in the life of the local church. And as I read that, Scripture says that the Spirit comes to us as a fire, either to be fanned into flame or to be doused and extinguished by the water of human fear, control, and pride. And sadly, in our ignorance, I believe we've quenched the Spirit more than we'd like to admit. I know I have. I'm not sure about you. But in Paul, and this is what Paul and the writer of Hebrews is pointing to. He's saying, God has done the hard work of salvation and has put you on the path of sanctification for our good and for his ultimate glory. But in our, our attempts to control our lives, who likes to control things? I, me, we like to control how we do life and how we follow Jesus and our tendencies to worship the idol of self and our, our attempts to collect the seashells of our lives. We've built lives on foundations of comfort and instead of Christ, because we can control in our comfort. In our comfort, we feel safe. We feel secure. But when we follow Christ, we don't feel safe and secure because we don't know where he's going to lead us, but we're sure because in the Bible, it says he would be with us always. That's why we can have joy. We've lost the passion for the mission of God. We've quenched the spirit of God to the point where many of us have forgotten what his voice sounds like. But Jesus didn't die for you to live under this bondage. You are free in Christ, Christian. You are free in Christ, so be free. 
Be free. Walk in freedom. Live in Christ. So many people pray a prayer that goes something like this. Lord, just use me today. Lord, just use me in my life. Use me here. That's a great prayer, guys, but can I offer you a better one? Instead of praying, Lord, use me, we need to start praying, Lord, make me useful. God, make me useful because there's so much in my life that, that draws me out of the game sometimes. I quench the spirit. I give in to my lust. I give in to my, the, the lust of my eyes, my, my flesh, the pride of life that First John talks about. I, I, and I, I, I draw myself out of being used by God. But guys, if we're still focusing on the flesh like the Corinthians were, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. We'll never get there. And my heart today is that we would see this with open eyes. Let's keep reading in verse 5. Paul goes back in on this, this topic. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is what? Anything. But only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. We're one. One mission together. Each has its different parts, the plurality of gifts in the body. And each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers and you are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful what, how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is what Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by the fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that has been built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Remember, we're talking to the church here. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? I hear that this morning. When I was reading that this morning, my, or this week, my mind was just kind of blown away in humility. Hear this with open ears. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? That's a game changer, guys. If we would wrap our minds around that and live for that, man, you would. I'm telling you right now, to understand that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you to live, act, and move, it's incredible, man. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. There's protection in that. And so Paul is showing us how we live, how we sow, how we talk, how we relate, how we do life matters. It all matters. And what are the steps in your life that you need to take to mature in your walk with Christ? Guys, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to destruction is what the Bible says. And so many people are deceived by the enemy saying, look over here, do this. You can use this for God's glory, right? Do this. And God's never called you there. But God has called you to make disciples of all nations. God has called you to do what you do, what you do for the glory of God and do what you do strategically for the mission of God. And so the second thing, the second point we see this morning is the focus of our intentions has to be Jesus. So maturity takes intention. Well, the focus of our intention has to be Jesus, right? And so this morning, what you see is every actional step in our faith that's not centered on Jesus is worthless and in the end will be a waste of time. And that's the hard truth, but it's true. But as we saw in chapter one, the Corinthians had taken their eyes off of Jesus and put them on a man. I like how he talks to me. I like how he ministers to me. I like how he speaks. I can understand him. His ministry affects me. It, it, it builds me up. It gives me life. I want to follow this guy. Preaching styles and charisma had distracted them from Jesus. And like we mentioned last week, the need for instant gratification and pleasure deceived them into, and, and it, it deceives us easily too, guys. And Paul answers this. What does he say? What is, what is Paulus? What is Paul? They're just servants. Who, through whom you believe. He's, he's saying, we didn't do anything but obey God just like you should obey God. 
All we did was come to you with humility and fear and trembling. And we gave you the gospel. We just obeyed God and what he told us to do. And now you're called to go do the same thing. This is what we mean by we want to be a church that makes disciple-making disciples. We don't want to be a church that glorifies a pastor or a leader. We want to be a church that makes disciples who make disciples who make disciples where we get lost. Who who is the starting point of all this? We don't know. We don't care. It was Jesus. We're building disciples. We're making healthy disciples that are going out of this community and changing the world and seeing people come to life in Christ. But then what does he do? The, Paul highlights the unity and the mission. He's, he's highlighting the unity and the mission that, that the Corinthians weren't seeing. There, there may have been diversity in the ministries like Paul and Apollos and Peter, all these guys, but their mission was the same. Guys, we have guys in this church who would never grace this stage because they would get up here and they would probably faint. But we, there's other areas in this church that they would be incredible in, right? And there's other areas in this church that I don't touch because I'm terrible at. But we all have gifts that make the body function together. And that's what the beauty of the gospel, that's what he's doing. Paul, Peter, Apollos, the mission was the same. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, one body, one mission, many parts, all doing their part. One mission, one focus, Jesus. That's what it's about. And then Paul turns his attention to how we grow individually and collectively. You know how you grow individually and collectively? Well, the first thing we see is we have to build on the right foundation. What does verse 10 and 11 say? According to the grace that God has given me, I had laid a foundation as a skillful, skill master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any other foundation that has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. How you build, we have to build on the right foundation. We saw last week in chapter two that Paul came to Corinth. He was determined to do what? To preach what? Only Christ and him crucified. That's it, the gospel. And he laid that foundation that would last. And the Corinthians were emphasizing these personalities, Paul, Peter, Apollos, when they should have been glorifying Christ in their life, in their work, in their time. The foundation is the most important part of the building because it determines the size and the strength of the structure. If you're a builder or if you have a house, if your foundation is bad, your house is not going to be good for very long. If you have a cracked foundation or if it's off, if it's uneven, it's going to be bad. If you don't set the foundation right of your life, it's going to be bad. You may live in, you may live a certain way for a little bit of time, but if your end is coming. Your life may be successful for a time, but if it's not founded on Christ, that success won't last. The second thing we see is we must build with the right materials. What we see in that, we must build with the right materials. Paul describes two opposite types of materials here in verse 12. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. So the gold, silver, costly stones, and then you see the wood, the hay, and the straw. And I was going to do another demonstration, but I thought we might get a little dangerous in here. But what you see is imagine that a wall in this room, a wall had some cinder blocks, some, some good masonry, some good even plumb masonry masonry up here. And then we add some bricks on it. We, we make it look nice and pretty. And then we have some costly stones of, of gold and silver and beautiful things on top of that. And these beautiful wall. And then all of a sudden we add some pine straw on top of that. And then we add some hay on top of that. And then we add some wood on top of that. And then we put some more blocks up here. We put some more blocks. What's going to happen when the fire comes? It's going to burn up that hay. It's going to burn up that straw. It's going to burn up that wood, and the wall is going to fall down. And so I'm imagining this wall that's built with four layers of stone and the foundation being Christ, and then we allow sin to come in our lives, that hay and that straw to be mixed in with the good materials along the way. And when this revealing by fire begins, all that sin material will be burned up, and all the stones and bricks will be supported because of what we have allowed into our lives. You're seeing that in your head this morning, in your life? And what did Paul want, what did he want to symbolize with this? What did he want to symbolize with this? I believe Paul is pointing to the things that we use to build our lives with. If you're a Christian, obviously the foundation of your life should be Christ. And I believe Paul is pointing to God's word and our response to God's word. And the reason the Corinthians couldn't take solid food but required milk was that they hadn't allowed themselves to mature on the foundation of God's word. They, they, they may have known the word of God and the gospel, but they hadn't matured enough to apply it to their lives. 
The band can come back as we're going to sing one more song, but I want to kind of jump into this last point in just a second. But in 1 Peter, what we see is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Can you understand that this morning? You, like living stones, are being built on top of one another into a spiritual house to be a spiritual holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through what? Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, if you are a living stone and you're here and you're a Christian, you used to build God's temple. Your composition, your composition of your life matters. It matters. It's a serious thing to be a part of the building of God's temple. Can we agree with that this morning? Like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, what it warns us, what does it say? It says, don't, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? It warns us that if we destroy or defile God's temple by using cheap materials in our life, God will destroy us. But that's not saying, that's not talking about eternal damnation. That's, that's, that's not saying that because verse 15 says that each worker will be saved even if he loses his reward. But what I want you to see is I think Paul is saying that each of us builds into the church what we build into our life. Do you hear that? We build into the church what we build into our life. A missionary to India named Amy Carmichael once said that the church will never grow deeper than we have gone ourselves. The church will never grow deeper than we ourselves have gone. And this morning, I pray that, that we would see that if you build, if you fail to build into the church values that will last. We, we may look very successful to men. We may have all the things this world says we should have. But the day will disclose your heart. The, the day will disclose the type of material that you use to build your life with. The day you stand before God, are you going to say, God, look at the things that I did. God, here's my seashells. Look at the things that I did with my life. Or are you going to look back in your life and see a legacy of disciples that you've created in your life? Are you going to see a legacy of discipleship, of, of evangelism, of ministry that you see God use you in, in your life in the places that he planted you? So this morning as we close, do an honest assessment. What foundation is your life really built on? Don't, I, don't care about the, I don't care about the Christian answers because I'm not asking you to give me an answer. I'm asking you to be honest with yourself. What foundation is your life really built on this morning? What materials have you used to build your life with? And then finally, what we see in the last few verses of chapter 3, he says, let no one deceive himself. If he says, let no one deceive himself, what that means is it's possible to deceive yourself. You hear that? If anyone among you thinks he is wise of this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasons, reasonings of the wise are futile. So let no one boast in human leaders for everything is yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. That's a beautiful way to end this thing. As I look, the last point is this will cost you everything to follow, but you'll gain everything. It'll cost you everything to follow God, but it will cost, it will gain everything. In other words, if you want to, to really be really wise and mature in this world, Paul says you're going to have to think and believe some foolish things as the world judges. And you're going to have to do some foolish things as the world judges. You're going to have to believe that a bloodied, crucified Jewish teacher is the Lord of the universe. That's ridiculous to the world. It's not to me. It's the hope of my salvation. It's what I put my faith in. And most importantly, you're going to have to believe and act upon the belief that the pathway that leads to joy is through the cross, which, of course, the world also thinks is crazy. So in order to be wise before God, you'll have to become fools before men, which simply means that the wisdom that is causing you to boast, human wisdom, isn't wisdom. So don't boast because of men. Don't, don't boast because of man's wisdom. It's foolishness. It's a dead end. And then he goes on to say, why would you want to do that? Because you have everything in Christ. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. 
So guys, we're called to die on a cross of daily execution so that we can truly come alive in Christ. And this is the only pathway to maturity this morning. Do you want to know how to become mature? Die to yourself daily and take steps of faith to see Christ glorified in your life and to see the church built up to maturity and unity so they can be a light to the community that it's in. We should never have a problem with serving. We should never have a problem with giving. We should never have a problem with outreach or anything because we're mature Christians who are working together. We're not a group of people who are working for a pastor or a staff. We're a body of Christ who's working for Jesus. And that's the heart that we see this morning. Jesus says, give me the idols of yourself. Give me the idols of acceptance. Give me the idols of pride. Give me that straw and the hay and the wood that you're trying to build your little kingdom with. And let me exchange them with the gold and the silver and the precious stones that build, that can build what I intended you to build with your life. And that's what he's saying. So my question for you this morning is what about you? Individually, what about you? Not your wife or you. Like, what about you individually? Just me and you for a second. It, it, have you been feeding off of milk for far too long? Have you been just having your diaper changed and going through the motions of immaturity? How? And this is a very important question. So hear this. How long have you been in your faith where you are right now? How long have you been in this spot? Would you say years, months, weeks, decades? that you've been in the same spot in your faith that you are? Have you made disciples in your faith? Have you, have you taken people alongside of you and grew them in the faith? Have you seen people come to Christ through your life? Have you seen yourself build the church, not just through finances, but also putting, make, getting your hands dirty in the ministries of discipleship and outreach? Where are you at? How long have you been right where you are right now in your faith? Are you building with the right material? Are your intentions focused on Christ? Have you given up everything to follow or have you changed your theology to make you feel better about not giving it all to follow Christ, which is the only way? Have you taken Luke 9, 23 seriously in your family and in your life, dying to self, taking up your cross and following Christ this morning? I pray that we would be a church that's committed to maturing in our faith. We'd be a church that's committed to seeing a unified, mature body of Christ. But it's going to take us individually growing in our faith. It's going, to, it's going to take us taking personal responsibility for our growth. It's going to take us to, it's going to take some, some painful steps of faith, but it's worth every single second. So this morning, I don't know where you're at in your faith. I'm not sure if you're a Christian. I don't know where some of you are at this morning. But I pray that you would know. I pray this morning that the prayer that you prayed earlier said, God, show me where I'm at, that God may have revealed that this, in this sermon, this service. And I pray that you wouldn't leave here the way that you came. I pray that if you need Jesus this morning as your Savior, that you've been playing games, that you may have quenched the Spirit for so many years that you can't even hear His voice anymore, that that freaks you out to the point where you can come talk to a, to a prayer counselor or come to this altar and repent or stay at your seat and repent, but you would not stay the way that you came into this place this morning because we're all called to take steps in the direction of Jesus. If you need Christ this morning, he took a very bold statement by stepping onto the hill of Calvary and dying for your sins. I pray this morning, maybe you would take a step out of your seat and come to find one of us and just walk up and say, hey, I need Jesus, and we'll take you the rest of the way. So I want to pray for you. As I pray, you come. The altar is open. This is not a place of shame. This is a place of celebration. We want to pray with you and for you and over you. So God, we love you. We thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We pray, God, this morning that you would just work in the hearts of your people. God, that you would just change us um, and change our thinking, God. I pray that you would just move us in the direction of you. I pray that our hearts would just be um, just be convicted this morning of, of, the, of the things that we've been using to build our life. God, I pray this morning that you would make us a church that is mature and unified, that you would make us a church that is laser-focused on your mission of seeing the lost reached and disciples made. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its convicting power, its saving power, God, its freeing power. God, we, we pray that you would just uh, help us to see you more clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.